Welcome to Val FH Stugart Americana, an American-based English language Val FH Stugart fan podcast where our views are unofficial, uninformed, usually unprepared. If it seems like I have a little bit more pep in my step today, that's because, well, we're coming off a big win. This is episode 88. I'm your host, Travis. You can reach me at Hazelfish on Twitter at Valfi Americana, online at ValfiStugartAmericana.com. Join me as Matt. You can reach him at SailRacer. Matt, here's what's crazy. This is episode 88. Dino scored in 44 seconds, 88, 44. Those numbers go into each other perfectly. I mean, Matt, how happy would our listeners be if we kept this episode to, I don't know, just a mere 44 seconds? Uh, I think the subscriber numbers would go through the roof and we would hear applause from around the world. Matt, let's move into part one immediately here. Shout outs. Now, our season sort of ended, so we don't have a lot of OFC official fan club shout outs. But, you know, Val Bay Bingo, we had 10 out of 25. The great Derek Ray called this game. You mentioned on Twitter how this was a good omen. You turned out to be 100% correct. I want to ask you, what is it about D Ray, which sounds like an amazing nickname that I will never say to his face ever. What do you think about Mr. Derek Ray that you love so much when you hear that he's going to broadcast a Stuttgart match? Uh, well, first of all, I have a theory that Derek Ray is a closet Stuttgart fan. And because he's a consummate professional would never admit that out loud. Mm-hmm. But I think he secretly loves our club and is quietly rooting for us um, in the background. I, I just, I love the commitment that he's got like he goes out of his way to try and pronounce all the players names the way they say them and to use terminology correctly i love how he drops random german vocabulary into the english broadcast and then takes a second to explain what he means but it never feels forced Mm -hmm. um and his scottish accent's just awesome so i just i don't know it's hearing Derek gray call a stuttgart game makes me happy it does make me so happy too. It's he, I'm a note taker. I love putting pen to paper and his notes that he shows on Twitter sometimes are just scribbles on a paper. But to somebody like me who loves to just take physical notes of stuff, I so appreciate the process that he goes through. The other thing I really love is like you said, his pronunciation. I loved how he pronounced Hamburg. It was ha s vow. Now, we pronounce it H-S-V like the STD, which <laughs> takes away from what is a fantastically historic club. But the way he says H-S-V-O, it's just, it's it's gorgeous and it's beautiful. So, you know, Derek, if you're listening to this for some reason, because, you know, you got nothing else to do, we just absolutely adore the work you do. And also the fact that you're bringing Stuart some victories, it doesn't hurt, you know, at all. Speaking of victories, uh, Matt, you and I were still two games left. Uh, two games, I should say, separated in our predictions. I've got 134 wins. You've got 132. So we're still very close in that. The Valby Frauen, shout out to them. They are going to play at FC Mühlhausen, which sounds like a very tasty pasta, you know, from the region. I don't know. Have you had uh, Mühlhausen before? I haven't, but I think I ate there uh, when I was in Germany, and it was phenomenal. And the house white is just uh, really on point. <laughs> Try the veal, everybody. Try the veal. <laughs> uh, we do have an apology to make. Uh, Van Wiesbaden, we said last week that they were 
eliminated from promotion. As it turns out, because Freiburg 2 was in the direct promotion spot, but because in the Bundesliga, you cannot have two professional teams that are connected be within two leagues of each other. They were not promoted from the third division. So instead, Wiesbaden got to play in the promotion match. There was an ugly, ugly match against Bielefeld that they won four to nothing on their home soil. So apologies to Wiesbaden for eliminating them. Matt, should we do an apologies episode segment or does it matter? Because really Bielefeld, according to most scientists, doesn't even exist. Well, Bielefeld's not real. And also if we start making apologies for things we get wrong, we're going to have a lot of apologies to do. And we'll have to do a whole separate episode that is just apologies every week. Um, (laughs) And that'll likely get longer than the main episode. And I'm not sure either of us have time for that. Could we charge people on the Patreon account for the apology episode? It'd be interesting to see what our numbers for the apology episodes were versus the regular episodes. That might be better. That would be disappointing and sad, but probably true. Uh, the OFC man of the match was Dino Mavropanos. He got the kicker's best rating of a one. Chris Furch also had a one. Uh, we had a lot of people, Anton and Borna, and uh, like I said, Chris, we're all right behind him for the OFC. This was just a great match. A lot of the guys played great. Who was your man of the match for this one? It's hard not to go with Dino. He just, he had that goal early on. He was solid in the back. Um, I was nervous with uh, our favorite Florian Muller starting, but Dino, Anton, and Ito kept him clean for the most part. Um, So yeah, I think Dino is a great choice. Yeah, it's hard to go away from Dino. I actually went with Anton in this one just because he had that late save at the end to keep the clean sheet. He seemed to be the general in the back there, but Dino looked like a varsity player amongst JV players uh, on the pitch. He just he looked like a man among boys, so I can't go against that one. Uh, the OFC, we put a poll out there about the level of concern. Now, because we are Stuttgart supporters, we are never happy. That's just not the way. That's just not the way we roll. Uh, so the Paul was asking, you know, are you worried we didn't score enough? Are you nervous we should be fine, but this is Valpe? And are you confident we got this? 50% said we're nervous. We should be fine, but this is Valpe. 40% said we're confident we got this. Where are you on the poll here? Are you nervous we should be fine? Or are you confident this is all but over? I was way more nervous Thursday morning than I am right now. Um, I don't feel like we played good in that match on the whole Um, and to not play well and still come out with a pretty convincing victory is great. And I have confidence that Honus will keep the boys calmed down. And really all we have to do is not lose by four goals. I mean, really let's say not lose by three, because if we go to penalties, we're going to lose because the universe hates us. Um, So we need to not lose by three goals. And I feel like we can probably do that. I may delete the entire conversation you just had for the bad <laughs> mojo that we both just we both just put out there. So I just I, I feel better than I did. Um I'm still not because I've been following this club for as long as I have, I'm still not totally convinced that we're gonna show up on Monday and dominate. I, I think there's very few clubs that could feel nervous with a three goal lead going <laughs> in, but but we're one of them. Two of my favorite comments though that were added to the poll were uh one person said you know what we're winning the league next year and the other person jeff i'm pretty sure it was him said everything is going to be okay so if matt 
Final part of this segment, any shout outs for you? And hey, is everything going to be okay? I'm going to, like we do regularly, shout out fans in the stands. Um, the Mercedes-Benz Arena was rocking and that was cool <clears throat> to watch and what was a disturbingly boring game at points um the fans never lost interest which i cannot say i didn't um sitting on my couch here late on a tuesday night Well, speaking of losing interest, we might as well keep this podcast going along. So let's move into part two. Matt, so we knew we were hosting Hamburg for survival, really, for both clubs. So there's 119 matches between the two. So they played a lot. So now Stuttgart is leading 49 wins to 46 losses. We scored 44 seconds into this thing. And ultimately, we could have won by five or six goals. Let's just get that out of the way. So I'm going to give you kind of two responses here. One was from Kicker. They said, quote, the first part of the battle for last place in the Bundesliga clearly goes to Valve. I love that sentence, by the way, the battle for last place. <laughs> the Swabians got into the game with a lightning start and were dominant afterwards, but screwed the results up. OK, all right. Which I think it makes sense. Uh, then Tim uh, at Shumi Fan wrote in. I thought he summed this up really well. He's like, Valby dominated the whole match from the beginning to the end. Jirasi had two golden opportunities only to miss them, but to finally get the goal. Anton and Dino were their usual rocks on defense. Dino's finding his offensive abilities on to Monday. All is for Valby. Even Alejandro Moreno, one of the announcers, uh, I, I do you call him an analysis, a play-by-play guy, the, the clown at halftime? I don't know what you call this guy. <laughs> But he said, and I think this is really true, the 3-0 result was the best that Hamburg could have hoped for, which I think says it all. So you and I were super optimistic going into this one. Quick, instant react to the match, to those comments. What do you got? I generally think Moreno's a moron. (laughs) Um, I don't feel like he adds a whole lot of substance. Uh, He'd fit right in with us. Um, (laughs) Welcome to the program. (laughs) <clears throat> but I think he's spot on. Really, we should have been up 3 0 at halftime and we should have had five or six goals and be walking away feeling like there's no chance that this could go any way but ours. But those two Jirasi misses, uncharacteristic for him, um, were pretty, pretty concerning. So I think, on the whole, um, as I mentioned, not a great match for, for our guys, but we did. Uh, we outplayed them and we did look like a varsity team playing JV. So if we can do that on a bad day, if we have a good day the next time, it should be a whole hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, I was just like, my thing was like, holy F, we exactly what we said. We look like men amongst boys right now. I actually showed the first half in class. We're getting ready for finals. So everybody's, and I'm holding up finger quotations right now, studying for the finals for next week. And so I put the match on while the kiddos were studying. And I did, let's just say that after that 44-second goal, the kids know which side Mr. H is on right now. Um, I I thought it was just, it was a dominant performance, and yet there was a lot left to be concerned about, especially, you know, in hindsight, you're like, oh, wow, this is over. But at halftime, you're like, oh, gosh, you know, here we go. So l- let's jump into that a little bit. But first, I want to get into the pre game noise a little bit so there were some head games so prior to the match 
our old friend Tim Valter had a little bit of Valter talk. He commented that Valpe must have been disappointed because they had it in their hands and they let it slip away. I love this, that Sebastian Honus countered, well, we were in 18th place and there was really to be heard here and there that this was a suicide mission, that the chance that you'd still be able to do this was very small, end quote. And he said, basically, now we're in 16th place and it's in your hands. And then he took some shots at Hamburg saying, listen, they conceded 45 goals at the back and we want to give them some tasks with our offensive power. That's why I think that Hamburg wasn't happy to have finished 16th because we have a lot of potential to offer. So a couple of things here is like, one, you mentioned it last episode, how Valter is a little bit crazy and watching the match on the sidelines as things were deteriorating for his club, you could just see him get bonkers a little bit. The other thing is that as smack talk goes, I don't know if that's pretty tame or if that's just classic German friendly <laughs> smack talk. I didn't find it too offensive, but I guess they were kind of both calling shots at each other a little bit. It, it was pretty darn tame. Um, I think that falls in line with what we saw from Walter when he was our coach. He's, you know, trying to take some pot shots and maybe playing head games, but I love Honus's response of we came back from the graveyard and we've got a chance to save ourselves and that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and good for him. And adding that little uh, Hamburg can't keep anybody out of the net dig <laughs> at the end is uh, that's aces. I like it. Yeah. Do you have any uh, smack talk stories from your day uh, on the ice as it were when you were an athlete back? I, you know, I don't, I was a really bad smack talker. So I tended to just try not to do it. No, I didn't. I was mostly on the bench, so it's really hard to talk when you're on the bench on stuff. But I do remember there was a kid from a school that opposed us in basketball who used to yell in your eye when he would score a bucket. So you'd yell in your eye. And we never really understood what it meant. But I think that's why it was so powerful, because we didn't know exactly what uh, that meant. So every once in a while, you know, during class, I'll just yell in your eye to a student and <laughs> That's menacing probably, equal parts menacing and confusing it's probably why i've been called in the principal's office many times this year so we go to the lineups and we've got furich was in tiago was out dino was in dan axel was out enzo was in silas was out and the big one was bredlow was out because of a knee injury and mueller was in now we'll talk about the mueller one later but i was really surprised that chris was starting i, I was nervous that mueller was in obviously but I just, I love Tiago starting. I love Chris coming in late. And we'll get into in a minute why I was so wrong about that, obviously. Any of those lineup uh, changes hit you in any way, or were you good with what you saw in the starting 11? I honestly did not know that Muller was in for Bradlow. So I was checking the, the Twitter box and everything and turning notifications off on everything on my phone at work real quick before the game started. So dropped the lineup on Twitter and I just looked at the forwards and was like, oh, for Shimolo, okay, that's that's fine. I'm with you. I'd like to see Tomash get a little bit more run up there, but um first played really good. Oh my gosh. And um I was happy to see Milo and for Silas because Silas has been struggling as of late. So with as effective as Milo has been, it was good to see him get some extra run up there and be rewarded for the success that he's been having. I think I've got a little bit of Silas bias at this point. I just, I, I assume that he's awesome and to put him in there, but the Enzo play just made sense. Uh, Honus explained it, that he quote, he wanted to make 
a more playful approach. And Enzo is extremely sure of the ball and difficult to get a hold of between the lines. And end quote. And that idea worked perfectly, right? It just it totally made sense. But I think I do have a little bit of Silas bias at this point, where I just assume he always needs to be in the starting lineup. And you know, his form hasn't been superb, so you know, it makes sense. And we've always talked about Milo being in there, so it was awesome to see see him. So let's jump into the match, and we'll get to why I was so wrong, Chris, here in a minute. But the first half starts, and a minute into it, we're already up a goal. And I think for any team, being up that early just changes the whole momentum of the match, the mentality of the match. The thing that really struck me was how fast, fast, fast this team was playing. They were moving fast on offense, fast on defense. They were pressing. Uh, Hamburg was under pressure like crazy. I don't know. I didn't even have time to process the Borna cross, and his crosses were just in, um, on target or how fast this team was playing relative to how Hamburg was playing. It, it almost reminded me of that Schalke match earlier in the season where Stuttgart seemed not ready for what Schalke was going to do in their building. Mm -hmm. It almost mm -hmm. like Hamburg had no idea that we were going to play this aggressive and this like in their face. They were on their heels early and often. Well, we've talked before about how the, <clears throat> the second division is more of a defensive compact physical affair and more of the first division we see some wide open football like our team likes to play and like a lot of the big dogs like to play and so I think Hamburg was more used to having opponents come in and bunker down and try and punch them in the face and our strategy in this game was to run around them and make them chase us and it worked great and for some reason Tim Walter did not have them prepared for that yeah and we'll get into that you know, when we look at the uh, the next match that's coming up about Tim Walter and his adjustments or lack thereof, but it was crazy because after 30 minutes, it could have been three to four to nothing in this match. I mean, Stuttgart was just peppering their goal. Chris Furich was just on fire. Uh, Borna's crosses were on fire. So we talked off the air about how can we break down the offensive performance of this team. So let, let's jump into Chris Furich just right now because he's been a bit maligned but he's really come on under Honus in the last few matches whether it's as a starter I love him as a super sub but he 100% proved me wrong he was destroying that left side to where Borna was able to play back and play more defensive and Joshua was able to play much more offensive on the other side I mean if this was the last match I think I would have bought a Furich jersey at this point because he arguably was the man of the match. He was playing amazing. He created a lot of space for Sosa, which was super helpful and was an outlet for Sosa when he needed to be. But it was, it's really a, a testament to both of those guys, how left-handed we were able to be the entire game. And Hamburg couldn't do anything about it. They just stood and watched. And it's almost like they were as impressed by Sosa's crosses <laughs> as we tend to be. And so they were just watching, but it you know, first created just opportunity for Sosa. And that's what Sosa needs to be effective is a little bit of time, a little bit of space. And he got more of that because of the chaos Furich was causing. It was crazy because it looked like Furich was just sprinting up the left side when things were open. And if things bogged down, he would pass it back to Borna to reset and do what we know Borna can do, which is his crosses. And Borna's been in a, rather 
really poor run of form. Not today or not, you know, this match. He was the old born. His crosses were in the middle. He probably could have had a couple more assists, you know, if not for some, you know, bad luck on our part. So Borna played well. I mean, Chris played well. Let's talk about the Seiru redemption arc. We've been using that word redemption the last couple episodes, and it's better to have a redemption arc than like whatever the opposite of a redemption is. But Seiru came in. He had just signed the contract renewal, which we'll talk about a little bit later for the club. And we're all super excited about that because he's the reason for the season, right? 11 goals in 22 matches, which is crazy. He comes in and we could have been up three or four, nothing at the 30 minute mark. And part of the reason we were only up one, nothing is that he missed a one-on-one and then he missed a penalty kick. Let's talk about Seiru for a second and how he played. I think Alex Moreno, I'm not a big fan, but he was spot on at halftime that you could see his confidence start to slip. And those hold-up balls that he does so well, they were bouncing off of him as the first half was going on. But he had that redemption in the second half. How do you think Seiru played? And mostly, how do you think he rebounded from how he played in the first half? It shows a lot of mental toughness from him. Um, a, lot of, a lot of times, attackers, when they start having balls bounce off them like that and shots go wide, you'll see them just get totally in their head and completely fall apart. And I think he was kind of doing that in the first half. And um, I'm, I'm going to give Honus some credit here because we don't know who else to credit, but he got calmed down in the half and came back out and played a much better second half all around, not just because he scored, but he just looked better on the field than he had. So yeah, I'm just I'm I'm impressed that he turned it around. I'm I was completely shocked when that penalty was saved. But you know, stuff like that's gonna happen. And we need that resilience, that mental toughness across this entire team to make it out of this relegation playoff. Yeah, it was weird because he and Chris Furich were playing or had so many opportunities in the first 30 minutes where we could have been up three, four nil at that point. And as a striker, you just we saw that with Simone Tarota when he started off with us in the second uh, season in the first division, where he missed a penalty kick and his confidence just seemed to be shaken after that first match until we eventually unloaded him to Cologne. So to see Seiru be able to get out of that, and I think that second goal was so important for so many reasons. The ridiculous reason is because obviously that put us up three nil and we desperately needed that goal. But his confidence needed that as well. And you could see it after he scored that goal that all the bad mojo from the previous missed opportunities was just shaken off of, of, of his shoulders there. Um, I really thought after he missed that first one that it was one of those weird things. You never know. You mentioned mentality. Him signing that contract extension and getting some stability in where he was going to be the next season or two was bearing down on him a bit. And maybe it's overstating it in hindsight, but it just seemed like as the game was going on, he felt like the weight of the club was on his shoulders because people like you and I have been talking about how the weight of the club is is on his shoulders. So I don't know. Do you think the contract extension played any role in that? The pressure played any role in that? I mean, it's easy to draw that line um, between the least happy contract extension picture ever taken (laughs) and Jurassic coming out flat in the first half. (laughs) But I, I'm 
I'm going to say it's more likely just dude had an off day. Yeah, it was it was the first bad game he had in a while. And if you haven't seen the picture that Matt is alluding to, go on to Twitter and go to where the contract extension um, tweet was posted or go on to the team website. And it is the most uh, just unhappy happy moment that you'll see in a while that you would think the photographer would be like, Hey, uh, Volgamut and, uh, Veril, let's uh, turn those frowns upside down a little bit and say, you just got an extension. It was one of the most meme worthy pictures you've seen in a long time. It just made, you know, no, no sense at all, but he was able to bounce back. He was able to get that fantastic goal almost out of nowhere in the second half were you surprised that he was pulled around the 70 minute mark not totally um after he got his uh his second goal i think that um probably honus felt like the game was under wraps that we had it in control and if you look at the guys that came on so luca pfeiffer who's I don't understand why he's getting game time at all. But Pfeiffer and Tomash, Tomash makes a lot of sense. Those guys came on at 68 minute. And then after that, it was Egloff, Nardi, and Daxo that came on 84, 84, and 90 minutes. So it's mostly like we're going to get some guys some time who haven't gotten a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. And it's a good good thing, especially for like Lillian Egloff, who's a local kid, took our homegrown player get him a little bit of time in the game some experience that's fine i think honus had decided this game was sewn up mm-hmm. yeah and it's it, don't get guys hurt uh take seiru out on a high note you know he had had a rough game up to that point he took anton out later you know he was on four yellow cards so you don't want to chance the potential of a fifth so he can't play in the next you know match there so i was a little surprised i thought maybe you know give him some poachers chances to get another goal, but it made, made sense to us. So we talked about Chris, we talked about Seiru. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is on offense. And this will transition us to defense is Josh Abagnamon. He's a right back slash right wing back. Uh, he is, as we mentioned last episode, a Hamburg guy. He played for them forever. He's from there. He scored the goal. Um, our friend Adrian on our Slack channel, OFC channel, it would be happy to know that Josh did not celebrate after he scored his goal. Uh, <laughs> He would. He played so well in this match. He played so offensive. He was playing so far up the pitch. He almost looked like a second or third striker at times. Any thoughts on Joshua and his match? Um, it was funny when he scored that goal. Seiru was kind of, as the pass was coming from Enzo, was kind of putting his arms in a position that almost seemed like he was saying, calm down, calm down, just put this away. Um, you know, don't Martin Harnick at this and just launch it into the stratosphere. <laughs> It was really gratifying to see Jurassic get, or not Jurassic, but Vagnon get that goal. Um, I feel like he's somebody that we've been really high on. Hmm. The guy that we've seen with a lot of potential and just dude's career has been racked by injuries. But we can see when he has these moments, like most of this game was for him. And it was nice to see this, this one of these moments stretched over a game. Hmm. He's a really, really dangerous player. Yeah. And if we can have a Vagnon on the right and a Sosa on the left, there's a lot of dangerous stuff that you can do there. And I, I think Vagnamon's got the, the capability to cross, not as well as Sosa does, but few people do have the ability to cross as well as Sosa does. 
but we can be a two-sided club and not just fully left-handed. We didn't have to in this game because Hamburg couldn't adjust, but potentially when we're playing a, a much better team, uh, Union Berlin, uh, Bayer Leverkusen, we can shift and run down the right when we have to. And just a lot of fun to see that guy get some good success, and especially in such an important game. Yeah, it's funny. He is not playing for the national team in the next couple of games, but he is going to play on their U21 team. So he's still getting some national um, recognition, you know, for Germany and all that stuff. But that's a great transition to move us into defense. So let's talk Anton and Dino. They were absolutely on fire. Anton saved a goal at the 76th minute. Dino saved a goal in the first half. Uh, Dino obviously scored the goal, but I voted Anton man of the match. I, I thought he was just a general in the backfield there. He played so great. Dino played so great. One of your favorite players, Ito, was just all over the pitch. This entire defense scored rave reviews from kickers. Ones, one and a half, and twos. They were on fire. I, I almost feel like we're doing them a disservice by lumping them all together. But Anton and Dino kept this a clean sheet. Uh, they were amazing in this match. Muller was bad. Let's start there. <laughs> Muller was straight bad. He was making some really awkward decisions. He had a couple balls that he played out of the back end that put the defenders in rough spots. And I don't say this to bash on Muller, even though it's been one of my favorite pastimes <laughs> the last <clears throat> nine months or so, but to highlight how well the defenders played in front of him, to keep a clean sheet, to deal with the garbage balls that were coming out of the back end, and to just cope with the the added pressure of knowing your goalie might go off the reservation for no discernible reason at some time, and you've got to be able to deal with it. And they did it, and they were great. And Ito, I want to give Ito a little extra love. As you said, he has been one of my favorite players lately. The dude tracks back so well and is so fast. His speed is underrated. But he gets himself in a position where he can help out offensively but I don't feel like he gets stuck there. So he's able to get back and transition to, to cover when needed. And just, he's such a phenomenal, versatile player and such a great compliment to Anton, who's about as fast as I am. <laughs> and then Dino, who loves to just go like a wrecking ball up the field. He, the three of them make a really nice package at the back of our, our defense. Yeah, I don't think Anton is the most physically gifted player, but I think he brings a lot in terms of mentality. And Dino brings amazing mentality. And it's just, he was a man amongst boys today, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, or he had a he could have scored at least a brace. He could have gotten another goal. Uh, the announcers mentioned during the match that when he comes with any kind of speed into the offensive box, you can't stop him. He's just a beast, you know, out there. So those guys play great. Yeah. Florian did a nice job coming in as a backup. If he's your backup, you're like, okay. He, he obviously was rusty. He had a couple back passes or passes that you're just like, oh my goodness. And then he had what we've come to know from Florian where he is stuck on the line. He's not going to move off the line. I do want to give him credit. He had two great saves during the match, um, which is what you've said a lot is that his reaction saves are great. When he has time to think about it, that's when he seems to make mistakes. And you saw that again today. So hopefully Bredlow can get 
healthy and we can see him because he's just more consistent than Florian is. But I do want to give Florian a shout out. Hey, we haven't had a clean sheet in a long time. And whether by luck or happenstance, he stepped up when we needed him. Um, and he was able to at least get a couple of those big saves. And with his defense helping him out, able to keep that clean sheet. So shout out to, shout out to the defense there. The last thing, Matt, I kind of want to say about the match is that the the team is just you could see how much these guys cheered for each other whenever anybody scored. So when the first goal, Dino, they obviously all went nuts because it's the first minute of the game. But then when Josh scored that goal, he wasn't celebrating when everybody else was going nuts for him. When Seiru scored, you could just see everybody was going crazy. I loved how the guys who were warming up sprinted across to the other side of the post to celebrate with him. Uh, but when goals even weren't scored, when Luca Pfeiffer almost scored a goal around the 88 minute mark, you could see Seiru and Honus were so excited because they thought the goal was about to go in. And I think, you know, I'm psychoanalyzing here, but it was just, had that gone in, that would have gotten him off the schneid a bit and would have made the season a little bit of a cherry on top of what has been a pretty lousy season for the guy. This goes back to what you and I said a long time is that no matter what is happening above these guys or on the pitch across from them, they're in it for each other. So you add that team aspect to it, plus how amazing the home support was. They were bonkers loud that entire match. My students were just like, what is happening with this? I was like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, flares are a thing, guys. You don't bring them to class, but, you know, the flares are a thing. Um, I just loved, obviously, the result how they brought a mentality to the match from the very first second and how they were all in it together. And, and those are three things, at least two of those things, the home support and their togetherness we've seen all season long. And it was awesome to see it. end with a result in what was maybe the most important match of the season. Yeah. We haven't seen this team kind of have any infight sort of situations since I think maybe the last time we went down. And it was a testament to what Matarazzo built here, the caliber of players that Sven brought in and just the culture in the clubhouse, like the culture around the club as a whole with the leadership and stuff. Like we could have a whole different conversation about that. But the guys who are suiting up, who are getting on the field, who are going to practice every day, I feel like they really care about each other and are trying hard for each other and are genuinely happy for each other's success. And that's really fantastic and not something you see all the time at top level football. Yeah. It's great to see you as a great result today. Um, just nothing but positive uh, vibes, you know, to be a Valpy fan right now, which we don't always get. So it's feeling pretty good. Um, let's move in. You know what? It's not a lot of news and headlines this week, but let's move into net news and headlines right now. All right, Matt. So I got a couple things real quick to throw at you. Uh, Seiru signed a contract extension with the club. So we officially purchased him from France. Uh, Joshua Vagnamon was ripped on by former club legend Hansi Mueller said, you know, that he thinks he's overrated. And then he did what he did in the match <laughs> against Hamburg. And Honus came to his back and said, you know, he's really grown. He's only 22 years old. We tied a record with the biggest 
leg one victory since I think it was like 2009 when Nuremberg did it against Kobus. And then finally, uh, Timo Baumgartel was in the stadium because there's rumors that we may sign him as a center back slash backup next year. So all of those four news and comments, any of those you want to touch on? I would like more people to say mean things about Joshua Wagnemann before game start. <laughs> um, that worked really well for us, so bring it on. <laughs> um, the Timo Baumgartel thing, I like. I don't really know how to feel about that because I don't feel like he was great for us when we had him the first time. And I don't feel like he's been great when we played against him. Yeah. So, like, if the plan is to have him as a potential break glass in case of the emergency backup dude, then okay, I'm I'm not going to get real wound up about that. But if we're counting on him at all for minutes, um, yeesh, not a good place to be. Yeah, I think we'll dive into this a bit more, you know, after the season's over and we start talking about players that are coming and going and all that stuff. And it's awesome because he's a local kid and he survived cancer. And that's just a great story. Um, I have similar memories that you have. If he's coming in as a backup on the cheap, yeah, I have no problem with it. But I think the thing that I find odd is like we've talked about in the past is how former club legends are just continually going to the press and talking about how lousy the club is. And I just, I don't understand what their point is. I, I, I just, what did, what are you hoping to achieve by saying that one of the most important players on the team, even if we are lousy, let's, let's be honest. I mean, we're playing for 16th place in the Bundesliga. So we are lousy, but what good does that do to rip on these guys, especially a guy who's played really well under Honus? I think that's a big thing is, Honus has lost one match since he's been coaching one Bundesliga match since he's been with us. And I think if you look at the table from Honus versus before Honus, this is a different club. We're not a 16th place club, you know, based on the results of the last, you know, few matches with him. And I don't know why people don't see that. And I think most people do see that, but under Honus, these guys are performing differently than they did under Labadia. And I'm not trying to rip on Bruno again, but I don't know why somebody like Hansi Mueller doesn't see what we're seeing that, listen, if you look at where they were to where they are, there's a market improvement over that course of time. So what's the point of coming in the press and ripping on these guys? You know, on the flip side, if you're going to be hurt by what's happening in the press, I guess, you know, you're a little too sensitive to play professional football, but I don't know. That was the thing that stuck out to me is like every week somebody's coming out of the woodwork saying about how lousy this club is and maybe it's reverse psychology. I, like you said, I, I just don't get it. Well, just the, the timing is so weird. Like why now? And what are you hoping to accomplish? You're not going to make any changes in the next two weeks. It's almost like these guys just, they want to get a little bit of attention. And so taking pot shots at your, your former club, I guess, is a way to get you some attention and some get your picture in the paper or something. I don't know. It it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think it's productive. Um, but also, it's not hurting what's going on on the field. So go off, boys. Blow your, <laughs> blow your own horn. Make yourself look like a dummy. And as long as the guys on the field aren't affected by it, I don't care. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into some questions. And oddly, optimistic comments this this week which maybe isn't so odd after the result against Hamburg 
So somebody said, listen, we're halfway home. I'm going to steal that for our title of this episode. We're halfway there, Matt. Super excited. The one other comment I want to get your uh, kind of take on is, after this result, who wanted to play Heidenheim again? If you remember, we did a poll, and about 40% wanted Heidenheim. Um, I think you and I both agreed we wanted Hamburg on this one. Even Honus said he'd rather would have had you know, Hamburg. So more shots fired. Take that, Tim Valter. Uh, are you, I mean, obviously it's easy to say you're happier now that we had, you know, um, Hamburg and Heidenheim. I mean, I don't think Heidenheim would play as open as this team did. I I haven't watched Heidenheim at all, so I, I can't really say, but it's hard to argue that another team would give us the chances that Hamburg gave us on Thursday. So I'm totally content with the fact that we got Hamburg. <laughs> Um, I would like to play Hamburg about 15 more times in a row because that was kind of fun watching uh, our team be clearly Mm -hmm. better than their opponents, which is not something we've had all that often. (laughs) Mick Chaos writes, and I think this is an interesting question, especially for us. Quote, even though it looks like the playoffs are bailing us out this year, how do you feel about them in general? Historically, the one division teams go through and – is this unfair to expect that a team that's built for the second division to be a team that's built for the first division? End quote. So here's the deal. In 15 years, three times the second team has gone up. So 12 times the first team has gone up. In the Premier League, the model is different. The bottom three teams in the Premier League are automatically relegated. The top two teams in the second division automatically go up. And then there's a playoff between three through six. You and I sort of texted about this a few days ago, but what are your thoughts? It's exciting. Um, it adds a bit of, uh, of extra flair to the end of the Bundesliga season. The, the second division team is obviously built to play in the second division, but also if you want to play and be successful, you need to be able to be teams that are quote unquote better than you. And it didn't seem to hurt Union Berlin, who I seem to remember <laughs> won a relegation playoff. And um, I think they're doing okay right now. I, I don't really recall, but um, we'll have to research Union Berlin in a minute. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, the idea of um, the way the English do it with like second division teams playing each other for the right to get that, that third spot is really interesting. Um, but it adds, I feel like the German way adds a little bit of extra drama because you get teams in, in the first division, the second division, and the third division all playing to not fall through the door. And so there's a lot of drama there, and maybe it does benefit the upper division teams a little bit. But as a fan and just for the casuals, this is a really interesting way to drive excitement from fan bases. I'm a little biased. I'm going to take the German way, but I can see why people would like the second division in England way where those three through six teams are fighting for it. But I I don't have the math in front of me, but I think most of the Bundesliga teams were in it until the last week, the last couple of seasons. There was always one team that was out of it, but for the most part, you had four or five teams that were still in it. The playoffs for relegation haven't been blowouts though. I mean, Last year, Kiel and Cologne, or two years ago, Kiel and Cologne, uh, Kiel was ahead on the road going into the second match. 
the same thing last year, Hamburg was ahead of Berlin going into uh, their home match. I remember Wolfsburg played Braunschweig. It was close. The year that we went down, it was an away goals thing. So I think it's a lot closer than people are giving it kind of credit for. I think the drama, like you said, of the system the German league has is ideal for the first division team. I, I get it. If I'm a second division team, maybe I don't like it, but I think it makes finishing in the first two all the more important for the second division. And I think it makes the Bundesliga season more dramatic going into the last season. So, you know what? Yes, Mick, we are benefiting from it and God bless it because we definitely, we definitely needed it. You talking about the second division too. David asks, are you ready to set unrealistic expectations for the next season based on one game against a second division team? I know I am all aboard for the 2023, 24 about the hype train worst to first baby. Oh, Matt, a hundred percent. I'm going to no doubt pick Stuttgart to finish seventh next year. So I can dream about Europa play. And then by December, I'll be worried about relegation. Um, I'm going to go bonkers. The thing that's weird is that we have dominated, dominated second division clubs this year. If you include friendlies, the Pokal, and now so far the relegation uh, matches. And I hope it goes at least one more. Um, yeah, so I am totally going to be over the top with my predictions next year. What about you? A hundred percent. I am one just completely on the honest train. And as long as we keep this dude uh, – I'm on board. He wears a ball cap on the sideline. He looks like a dad coaching uh, little kid soccer on a Saturday morning. I'm in. I think it's real. Honestly, I think it's realistic that we could, you know, expect a like 9, 10, 11 position finish the way he has this team playing where we've been a lot smarter defensively. Um, with Jirasi, at least, we have some fangs to and capability to finish it's you know how many games have we lost over the last two years because we didn't have anybody who could finish or because of one stupid mistake at the back end and honus seems to be getting those addressed so i don't know if i'm ready to start planning for uh, europa confederations league or europa league or champions league but i'm definitely ready to be planning for a we're not in the basement season. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely getting excited about Honus, getting excited about this club, and I will be over the top optimistic, like I said. So he's <laughs> trying to keep me try to keep me out of the clouds, all that stuff. Uh, Rob Holloway asks, um, I was hoping we would put in five or six goals. A penalty missed by uh, Saber still hurts. And the one that he had against the goalkeeper seemed like a pass more than a shot. I'm hoping the second leg we can just score early so we can relax. The reason why I like this question is because it leads us into part four, Matt, which is predictions. And I think Rob is 100% like most of us, optimistic but still concerned. So what do you say? Let's jump into predictions and wrap this up. Let's go. All right, so as we – Go into the match on Monday. We are up three goals. So there is no away goal rule anymore. So it's just straight up goals. So real quick, before we get into predictions and I give you some stats about what we're looking at at, at this match, what are your feelings just off the cuff going into Monday? I'm feeling confident. I think 
as I've said a couple of times, I don't think we played well on Thursday. I think we show up and play better. I think the guys will expect to win this game and we'll come out with that attitude and just put the hammer down and make Homburg wish they didn't show up. I think this is why Honus is fitting with this club so well. He seems to be a combination of Pellegrino and Vimmer. So he's kind of using the same system that Pellegrino used. He's wearing the same basic outfit that Vimmer used with that shiny shirt and all that stuff. And they seem all three of them to be able to have tapped in to what the guys do well and to talk them up and to talk them down. And after the match, all the guys were repeating what Honus said about, Hey, the, the game's not over. The season's not over. We still have to finish this out on the other side. Homburg is using words like hope and miracle. Their sporting director said it's going to take a miracle for us. So let's look at some of the stats real quick. So Homburg is better at home than they've been on the road this year, but Stuttgart is three, two and one under Honus on the road. Homburg scores a lot over two goals a game at home, but we average over two goals a game on the road under Honus. We do give up a lot of goals. We've only had two clean sheets under Honus and We've given up at least a goal a game, but so does Hamburg. They give up at least one and a half a game and over one at home. So this gets into the Walter versus Honus thing. So Walter Ball, Kicker wrote an article pretty critical about Walter. And basically they said this, quote, the refusal of the coach to adapt his orientation to an offensively strong opponent led to disaster. With a dozen great chances, Stuttgart revealed how vulnerable Walter's football is. It doesn't work at a level because the individual class is not sufficient when trying to play against Bundesliga teams versus playing against Zweite League teams. And the stat that really sticks out to me is in eight matches over the last three years versus Bundesliga clubs, the Pokal, relegation and friendlies, the goal difference is eight goals for, 24 against. And this year it's two goals for and 14 against for Hamburg. Meanwhile, Honus in just Bundesliga matches is four wins, four draws, two losses, plus six goal differential. So 21 goals for 15 against and plus two on the road. I threw a lot of stats at you there, but all of these stats should make us as Stuttgart supporters feel pretty confident. I mean, touch on some of these, touch on all of these. Give me your final prediction. What do you think? I think Walter's uh, inability to adjust, make changes to put his team in an, an advantage is going to be his undoing. And you saw in the game on Thursday that we were able to play completely left-handed and Hamburg never adjusted. They should have overloaded on the right-hand side. They should have put an extra person out there or two to try and get in Furich and Sosa's way. And they never did that. So I think we saw this from Walter when he was coaching Stuttgart. I don't think he's an elite coach. And I think that's going to get in Hamburg's way. I also think that we've got more talent than they do. I think that we've got more experience, I guess, even for such a young club. Just like Ito has been through this before. Carazor has been through this before. Anton, Dino, they've seen this before. They know what this is all about. They're going to come in with level heads and get the other younger kids on the team moving in the right direction. So I'm all the stats you gave me, it's just making me more confident than I was 
that we've got a really good chance to do this. I think Hamburg's inability to play defense ultimately and Walter's unwillingness to make changes is going to lead to Stuttgart coming out on top for the day. Yeah, I, I actually have an interesting – well, I, th- I think it's interesting because it's my own opinion <laughs> on Walter, which I'm going to save for our next episode – that's called a tease, but also I don't want to jinx it in case things go south on Monday. But I, everything is trending in our direction right now. A weird place for us to be, to be optimistic as Valve-based supporters right now. But it's hard not to be optimistic going into this one. Um, I think this is not rocket science. Whoever scores the first goal is going to shift this game completely. If we can get the first goal early this game is over if Homer gets the first goal oh put on your seatbelts everybody because it's going to be a stressful 90 minutes what you, what if we're able to get the first goal we're going to force them to open up more which they <clears throat> kind of want to do but really don't against us in an ideal world for them and it's just gonna take any chance that they have out of it because they won't be able to keep up with Enzo Malo and Chris Burrich on on the outside and they won't have enough defense back to handle Jirazi. I, I think it just goes that back to we are just the more physical, the better club. It's we're the first division club. They're the second division club. <laughs> we are a really good second division club, which sounds really bad, but in this case it's kind of good. I think it's going to be a 3-1 result when all is said and done for the good guys. What do you think? I think that sounds fair. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is the most important thing. So we we threw this episode together at the last minute because we want to get something out before Monday. Um, Matt's power went out at his house. And so we're doing this on his phone. So we apologize for the sound. But this is kind of nice because it's taking us back to kind of our origin story where you know our tech was, was awful. Let's wrap this up with – all right because we can never stop talking about Sven or Pellegrino. So let's bring them back into this. If we are able to pull off the victory on Monday and survive what has been just a lousy, emotionally draining season, when those two met to part, they shared an expensive bottle of whiskey. We mentioned that Reno loved grappa, red wine, or whiskey to drink. If we're able to do this, Matt, what is your beverage of choice going to be on Monday as you just, you literally soak in this entire season? I have a nice bottle of scotch that my uncle Seth brought down last time he was here. And it's about a third of the way gone. And I think it'll probably be about two thirds of the way gone. uh, if We get this done and I'll just end up sitting on my back deck, sipping on some scotch, uh, reveling in the fact that we survived. I think I am going to grab an expensive bottle of uh, scotch at the liquor store that's about a half mile from my house that I feel that I am individually supporting at this point. And then I have a tennis match at nine o'clock, so I'm going to stumble all over the court and see how see how that goes. But I think I'm going to harness my my inner Sven and Reno, and I will join you, Matt, though a couple hundred miles away with a nice bottle of uh, of scotch and just take it all in, my friend. It's worthwhile at the end of what has been a insane season to just sit down and think about it from front to back and really appreciate what the guys have done, being able to 
come back from a horrible hole that they were in absolute dead last in the league. And here we are on the verge of safety and arguably comfortably on the verge of safety. Yeah. And as anybody who's listening to this right now is like, Whoa, guys, calm down. We get it. We need to slow our roll a little bit because we still have 90 minutes to play. We still have to put this one away, but we're almost there. As somebody mentioned er earlier, we're halfway there. So Matt, you know, hopefully, you know, next episode, I can meet you on the other side. And that other side is planning for a Bundesliga season next year. Keeping my fingers crossed, Travis. <laughs> All right, Matt. Like we always say, hopefully next time we're talking to you after a big Valpy win, my friend. Oh, can't wait.